comes from the book of Proverbs. If I may digress for a moment from my prepared message, I mean it when I say to you, You guys! Sometimes you're bad! Don't be jerks! You're supposed to be good! I'm in my office every day, and somebody comes in, and they're like, Hey, whoops! I'm like, don't! Dan, what is your deal? If anybody doesn't know, Dan is the worst. I took a vow to not say who was the worst, but it's Dan. You guys are making me look bad in front of God. What's that? Oh, look, it's Jesus. And he said, stop it. The word of the Lord. That's good. All of first service just got up and walked out. So I don't, there's some concern. Uh, um, uh, <laughs> be better. A friend of mine sent me that video this week and uh, it was interesting as I was, or last week, but as I was watching it, I was thinking like if we rewrote the intro to Hebrews chapter 11, maybe we would start with those lines. Like, you know, be better. <laughs> Like, you're not supposed to be like this. We've been in this series that we've called Ugly Faith, and we're, we're just one chapter in the book of Hebrews, uh, chapter 11, one chapter, and, and we've just been looking at a whole list of characters that have been commended for their faith. But that list is made up of a drunk, a couple liars, a couple manipulators, a woman who pimped out her maid, uh, a couple shysters, a dad who played favorites with his sons, a murderer, vigilante, and that's just the first few verses. These are the people that are in the Bible for having, like, faith worth mentioning. There's something to that. And I don't know, this video was just in my head as I was thinking about how do we start another week talking about characters whose faith is so ugly. And we've set up the stage as best we can to try and communicate this visual of like unkept or a mess or broken or something that just doesn't look like it is going to work or make it or be right or whatever. This idea of uh, faith that's, that's just a mess. Welcome to my living room. It's a bit of a disaster. So it's interesting too because, because Hebrews chapter 11 I think has got to be one of the key uh, 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 evidence is that the Bible is true. I see, if I wrote the Bible, I'd leave these people out. Like, or maybe if I wrote the whole Bible myself, I might talk about a guy like David, but, but I, and I talk about how he like defeated a giant and like was a king and stuff like that. But I would not mention the fact that he murdered a guy to cover up a pregnancy that was due to an affair. I wouldn't mention that. It doesn't make us look good, Right? these stories of these people in here, like, like, like Abraham would be like, oh, you know, he talked with God and God's going to give him land and stuff. Like, I'd write that part. But the whole part about him lying about his wife, pretending it's his sister, I, w- I would just, just leave that out. It doesn't make us look good. Like, I think this is proof that the Bible is legitimate, is, is true, because it's not trying to describe some kind of a religious thing. 
It's just trying to describe reality. And so we get these characters, we get these individuals that are just a mess. They're just a disaster. They're just ugly. And yet they have this powerful faith. Uh, t- today we get to look at a character who's, uh, I think she has got to be one of the most uh, challenging, the biggest challenge to try and figure out how to reconcile her ugly with her faith. And we're in Hebrews chapter 11. We're going to be in verse 31, starting there this morning. If you have your Bible, you're going to want that because we want to read her story at some point. And so we were not able to get all those verses in the app or on the screen behind me. Some verses will pop up. But it would be great if you have your Bible. If you have the North Point app, it would be good to pull that out. There's some fill-ins in there and some opportunities to take some notes and whatnot. Some of the verses will be in there. But you'll want to have your North Point app and the Bible open to Hebrews Chapter 11 in verse 31. Are we there? Almost? Hmm. If you're quieter, I get more energized, and that's dangerous for all. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 31, it says this. It says, By faith the prostitute Rahab. Like, can we just pause for a second? By faith, the prostitute. Are there any other words that shouldn't come in the same sentence? It just seems wrong. Like, this just seems off, right? By faith, 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 this very religious thing that happens with people who are very next to God, the prostitute. Not so much connected to faith. I I don't know are prostitutes, I mean, people who, who, who have faith go to church on Sundays and prostitutes, I don't know what they did. Are you, by faith, the prostitute. Like, I, I want this to just sort of begin to settle into us because there's this odd contradiction set up right in the first four words. By faith, the prostitute. Isn't that, doesn't that make you feel weird? Like some of you are like, wait, did I, did I, am I in church or did I stumble into some other kind of a talk? I don't know what's going on right now. It says, by faith the prostitute Rahab, because she welcomed the spies, was not killed with those who were disobedient. And so for some of you who have maybe been around uh, church for a while or you've read some of the Bible, uh, maybe grew up in Sunday school, pr- frankly, this is not a, like a flannel graph story. It's probably not one of the stories they put up on the flannel graph, Rahab the prostitute, because all those fourth graders, they're like, what's a prostitute? And you're like, uh ask your parents. <laughs> That's how Sunday school teachers get out of everything, by the way. We say, ask your parents. But so, so maybe you've heard this story of this person named Rahab, and you're kind of like, oh, I remember that story a little bit, and you're beginning to try and remember some of the details. And maybe there's some number of us in here that have never heard this story before, and you're like, wait, spies, and she didn't die, and what's going on? That's okay, because we're going to look at that story today. Rahab is mentioned three times in the New Testament. By faith, the prostitute Rahab, that's what Hebrews says. She's mentioned in James chapter 2. In verse 25, it says this. James says this about her. It says, In the same way was not even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she did. Now, there's, there's a strange combination of words. <clears throat> Rahab, prostitute, righteous. That's odd, Right? Even Rahab the prostitute was considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction. As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. We got this weird contradiction immediately set up between words we don't think maybe fit in the same sentence. By faith, the prostitute. 
Rahab the prostitute righteous. Now, just as, this is an aside. I don't know what to do with this, but um, I, I don't know of anybody else in the Bible <clears throat> that has a last name attached to them or has like a moniker attached to them like this. Who forever shall be known from like 2,000 years ago or 3,000, 3,500 years ago when this happened. She's now known forever as Rahab the prostitute. It's not like, like David is mentioned in the Bible, you know, and, and it's not like they say uh, David the uh, adulterer. <laughs> remember David the adulterer, your grandfather? Oh, I remember him, yeah. Rahab the prostitute, I think is the, ol- I, the only character I know that has like this last name that, or, or moniker that represents p- probably her greatest sin or biggest shame or this piece of her life that frankly I wouldn't want brought up all the time if that was me. Could you imagine if we lived like that today? Like, if we all had last names that were connected to our deepest, darkest, isn't that cool? No, wait, that's not cool at all. I don't, I don't have an answer for this, by the way. I have no idea why Rahab is, like, the only character, I think, that has this of her. If you have great ideas, email them to me this week. I'm super curious. I don't have an answer. I'm not going anywhere with that. I just think that's really, really weird. So we've got this Rahab, the prostitute. Let's check out her story in Joshua chapter 2. I want you to read, I want, I want you to read the story. I want you to see the story because maybe, maybe we're familiar. Maybe we've got some things in our head that we're thinking, oh, I kind of know who that is. Maybe we don't. Um, the story super interesting. Let me just set you up in history so that there's some context to the story. So we're dealing with a people group called the Israelites. This is God's people. This is people that he's connected with. And we've read some names along the way like Abraham and, and Moses. And, and God had made some promises to a guy named Abraham about giving them land and that he's going to have descendants. And some time goes on and we heard some of his sons and grandsons and we stopped with a guy named Joseph and they were in Egypt. If you've been with us through this series. You remember that Joseph helped Egypt like weather this famine and so he's a super important guy now. And then a new pharaoh takes over and doesn't really remember all those stories. And so he looks around and he sees these, these tons of Israelites and he's like, hey, that's too many of them. Let's put them in slavery. And they do somehow. They enslave this whole group of people. And that slavery lasts like 400 years. Meanwhile, they're still waiting for this promise to get this land. And God shows up one day to a guy named Moses, says, hey, you're going to let my people go, right? And so he says, uh, you're going to take them out. And so Moses says, okay. And so they do. They go out into the Exodus. And then they, the, the Israelites do some dumb things. And God says, you're going to just wander in circles for a while. And they do. They wander in circles for a while, like 40 years. And after that time of wandering, God says, okay, it's finally time for you to go to the place that I've been promising to give you. It's right over there. Just, just go over there. And so they do. They go over there. They renew this covenant with God. It's this really special, beautiful moment. It's very cool. And so they're starting to go into and occupy this land that God has promised them, except there's some people there that have to be dislocated in order for them to do that. So they run up on this, this key city, this key town called Jericho, and that's where we enter into the story. God's going to deal with this town, Jericho. Joshua chapter 2, we're going to meet Rahab the prostitute. It says, Then Joshua, son of Nun, uh, secretly sent two spies from Shittim. Go look over the land, he said, especially Jericho. So they went and entered the house of a prostitute named Rahab and stayed there. That's weird, right? But God's people just renewed their covenant with him and they're ready to go take the land. They're going to do this very cool thing that they've been waiting for for decades and decades and decades. And so they go into this town to check it out. Two guys are sent in and they go right to the prostitute's house. 
The king of Jericho was told, look, some of the Israelites have come here tonight to spy out the land. So the king of Jericho sent this message to Rahab. He says, bring out the men that came to you and entered your house because they've come to spy out the whole land. But the woman had taken the two men and hidden them. And she said, yes, the men came to me, but I did not know where they had come from. At dusk, when it was time to close the city gate, they left. I don't know which way they went. Go after them quickly and you might catch them. But she had taken them up to the roof and hidden them under the stalks of flax she had laid out on the roof. So the men set out in pursuit of the spies on the road that leads to the fords of the Jordan. As soon as the pursuers had gone out, the city gates were shut. Before the spies lay down for the night, she went up on the roof and said to them, I know that the Lord has given you this land, and a great fear of you has fallen on us so that all who live in this country are melting in fear because of you. We have heard how the Lord dried up the waters of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt and what you did at Shion and Og, the two kings of the Amorites east of the Jordan, whom you completely destroyed. When we heard of it, our hearts melted in fear and everyone's courage failed because of you. For the Lord your God is God in heaven above and on earth below. Did you just catch like the witness that Rahab the prostitute laid out? Now then, please swear to me by the Lord that you'll show kindness to my family because I have shown kindness to you. Give me a sure sign that you'll spare the lives of my father and mother and brothers and sisters and all who belong to them and that you'll save us from death. Our lives for your lives, the men assured her. If you don't tell what we're doing, we'll treat you kindly and faithfully when the Lord gives us this land. So she let them down by a rope through the window for the house she lived in was part of the city wall. And she said to them, go to the hills so the pursuers won't find you. Hide yourselves for three days until they return and then go on your way. Now the men had said to her, this oath you made us swear will not be binding on us unless when we enter the land you have this, uh, tied the scarlet cord in the window through which you let us down and unless you have brought your father and mother, brothers and all your family into your house. If any of them go outside your house into the street, their blood will be on their own heads. We will not be responsible. As for those who are in the house with you, their blood will be on our head if a hand is laid against them. But if you tell anyone what we're doing, we'll be released from the oath you made us swear. Agreed, she replied. Let it be as you say. So they went on their way and departed, and she tied a scarlet cord in the window. When they left, they went to the hills and stayed there three days until the pursuers had searched all along the road and returned without finding them. Then the two men started back, and they went down out of the hills, forded the river, and came to Joshua's son of Nun and told him everything that had happened to them. And they said to Joshua, The Lord has surely given the whole land into our hands. All the people are melting in fear because of us. Jump over to chapter 6 just so we finish the story. Because at this point, uh, uh, God says, You're going to go into the city now and you're going to destroy it. That's a whole other story we don't have time for. They like march around and blow trumpets. It's crazy. Walls fall down. They rush in. Woo, it's crazy. All right, we get to chapter 6, verse 22. And it says, Joshua said to the two men who had spied out the land, go into the prostitute's house and bring her out and all who belong to her in accordance with your oath to her. So the two young men went in and done the spying, went in and brought out Rahab and her father and mother and brothers and sisters and all who belonged to her. They brought out her entire family and they put them outside the camp of Israel. And then they burned the whole city and everything in it, but they put the silver and gold and articles of bronze and iron into the treasury of the Lord's house. But Joshua spared Rahab the prostitute with her family and all belonged to her because she hid the men Joshua had sent as spies to Jericho and she lives among the Israelites to this day. That's crazy, right? What an an odd story. Let me just hit a couple of immediate questions that I hope are forming in your head. I want to see if I can tackle them. Uh, A couple of immediate questions. Number one, maybe she wasn't really a prostitute. Maybe she was just an innkeeper. So there's some folks that say, well, that doesn't, that doesn't sound nice that she was a 
prostitute. So maybe she was just an innkeeper and the words got a little confused in translation. And let me just put it this way. Nope. There's, there's no way to sanitize this. There's no way to make this look better or different or, I don't even know what this phrase means, more holy uh, than it is. Matter of fact, the words in both Hebrew and Greek clearly, clearly uh, describe exactly what her profession is. If you're interested, I'll tell you those words uh, later. Email me and I'll gladly send them to you. There is no way to sanitize this. She was absolutely um, a prostitute. Here's the second question that I think pops up immediately in our heads or will in a second. What were the spies doing in a prostitute's house? that pop up in your mind at all? Like they just had this moment with God. They're about to do this incredibly dangerous battle, spiritual thing that they need God's favor on. And these two guys go right into the city and, and it seems like they just beeline right to Rahab the prostitute's house. And so the question is like, did they do things inappropriate? Gotta just leave it at that. And I think the answer is, uh, there's nothing in the text that indicates that they did anything inappropriate. In, in Rahab's house with her at all. Matter of fact, it's actually a pretty strategic move if you just think about it for a second. These two foreign guys enter into a city, maybe a little bit later at night because it's about ready when they're going to close the gates because they close the gates at dark so that, you know, things can't get in or whatever. It's like a safety thing. So gates are about ready to be closed. So these two guys enter the city, foreign guys. Like, like that would be suspicious, I would raise some uh, questions. You're going to the store to buy some milk and you see these two foreign guys. I don't know if they're sneaking around in my head. That's what they're doing, right? But they're like coming in and you're like, hey, that looks weird. I should call someone, right? But if they come in and go to Rahab, the prostitute's house, all of a sudden it does a couple things. One is it doesn't seem that suspicious. That would have been fairly common, I would assume, at her door. The other thing is it does is it makes you her going, because you're going to get milk, remember this? It makes you, you see these folks go into her house and you're getting milk and you're like, I don't want to know. I don't want to deal with that. I'm just going to look away. Does this just make sense? It's pretty strategic, actually. So nothing in the text indicates that these two spies did anything wrong or any, anything inappropriate. It's actually fairly strategic. Here's the third question that I think is super interesting. Uh, does God or does the Bible condone Rahab's lying like she's put in Hebrews chapter 11, commending her faith. So does that mean the Bible is okay with lying? Yes. No, I'm just kidding. So when we do this talk, uh, sometimes if we talk about Rahab in your bold with like high schoolers and you get to this question, you're like, does this mean lying's okay? And they go like, they're like, yes. And the answer is the Bible really never talks about her lying. It describes it in Joshua 2. It's clear. Matter of fact, you can't sanitize this either. You can't get away from it. It's not like she told a white lie or a fib, whatever those things are, because lying's lying, right? But, but she outright, bold-faced, lied to her king. The king of Jericho sent soldiers to question her and say, hey, where are those guys? And she says, I didn't know where they were from. She knew exactly where they were from because the first thing she says to him when she gets a chance is, hey, I know you're from Israel and you guys are like conquering everything and I got some concerns here. She knows exactly where they were from, right? She tells the king of Jericho, hey, they came and already left. And meanwhile, she had hidden them up on the roof of her house. She threw some hay over them and she's like, shh, right? 
Now, now this is not like, a, a, oh, she's, she's not really lying because they were outside the house. And this is like inside the house. Like, oh, they came and left. No, because the roof of a house was considered part of the house. In that culture, it's where you'd go. You'd eat dinner up there maybe, or maybe you'd take your evening coffee up there in the cool of the night, watch the stars. The roof was considered the house. They are in the house. She says they have left the house. There's no way to get around this. She outright lies. Matter of fact, she tells the soldiers, matter of fact, go catch them. Hurry. They went that way. Not that way. <laughs> like that way. Like, like Rahab the prostitute lies. So does the Bible condone lying? Well, nowhere, nowhere besides the description in the story does it even really talk about how she did what she did. But it often uh, condones, it, 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 it commends the fact of, of what she did. In other words, in Hebrews 11, it says that she welcomed the spies. Like she was honored. She was commended for welcoming the spies. In James 2, the, the language literally says, Recite, received the spies in peace, or offered her hand in peace. In other words, she helped them out. So the commendation that the Bible gives on Rahab was what she did by helping and, 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 and welcoming these spies based on her faith doesn't really speak to the lying at all. And so, no, I don't think the Bible condones the lying, but that is how she got to this situation. Here's the fourth thing then. Where exactly or what exactly was her faith? Because when we read Rahab's story, it almost seems like she's just trying to save her own skin, isn't she? Like in Hebrews 11, she's committed for having this great faith in God, and yet when you read Joshua 2, initially, it's like she hears that, uh, you know, uh, Jews are coming, Israels are coming, and, and God's been beating up on everybody. I don't want to die, so I'm with you, <laughs> right? But, but it's interesting, the language that she uses, what she says, what she knows to be true. She says she knows that God had given Israel the land. How did she know that? She watched that on like Fox News or CNN or something, like, like as people come through the town and they're like, man, there's this whole group of people out there and they're talking about this God that they serve and they just keep on whooping up on everybody. Matter of fact, there was a crazy thing where we thought the sea was going to stop them, but then it just like parted and they walked through and there's like whales and stuff. It was crazy. Like was, was Rahab hearing these stories as she just went about her life and stuff and she's like, man, who's that group of people? She knew that God had given Israel the land. She had heard of God's actions. Like she had heard these events and she began listening and paying attention. She recognized in those things God's sovereignty and power. She never attributes this stuff to like their great, their great military might. And if you know Israel in this time at all, that's kind of funny because these folks have been wandering around in the desert for like 40 years. Half of them are dead. Uh, most of them are just young kids at this point. And so that's a great military battle going on, right? And these guys, I don't know that they're prepared for uh, a siege on a city to the scope of Jericho. And yet she is, she is convinced that God is working for them. His sovereignty is reigning. It's interesting because her faith is rooted in the fact that she trusted the people of the promise. She understood some things, however, about God, about his relationship with these people. And Rahab somehow thinks she could be part of this. All right, let me pull it back in because there's all kinds of questions we don't have time to deal with. This is one of the most interesting characters and interesting stories. And man, read your Bible because there's good stuff in here. Matter of fact, her questions we don't have time to deal with, like what her name means. Check that out. That'll, that'll just crack you up. Uh, or her being adopted into Israel's life. In verse 25, it says she's part of Israel. Like, wrap your head around that. Rahab the prostitute. Adopted into Israel life. So much so that she pops up in the genealogy of Jesus. She's, 
she ends up in the genealogy of Jesus. You understand what that means, right? Like she married a dude, a Jewish dude, at some point. Matter of fact, turns out to be Boaz's grandma. If you know the story of Ruth and Boaz, it's, it's cool if you don't, but if you do know that story, that's such a fascinating story. That's Boaz's grandma, which puts an interesting spin on how Boaz treats uh, the, the ladies in his life, Ruth and Naomi. Do you think maybe Grandma Rahab the prostitute, because apparently she's known as Rahab the prostitute forever now, uh, uh, somehow poured into her family and kids and grandkids? We don't have time talking about any of that, sorry. Uh, and this, this idea, again, of her being in the genealogy of Jesus, probably not a character I would but they're reminding us, bringing it back together, Rahab the prostitute simply wanted to be on the right side of God. You get nothing else out of any of this. Rahab wanted to be on the right side of God. That was her whole entire thing, being on the right side of God. Somehow her faith, as, as ugly and broken and messed up and incomplete as it was, she understood who God was to some capacity and wanted to be on the right side side of him. Matter, matter of fact, uh, maybe three points. I'll make three points and then be done. Just three points from the story. There's so many more. Here they are. Number one, if you have an app open, there's some fill-ins. Here we go. It says, Rahab didn't let her job hold her back. Job is the fill-in if you're using that. Rahab didn't let her job hold her back. If there was anyone in history of the world with a great excuse to say, God could never like a person like me, wouldn't it be Rahab the prostitute? Like, that's a, that's a great reason to be like, oh, I'm, I don't know about this whole God thing. We can imagine her saying, God could never be okay with me. We could insert uh, other words in for job. Instead of job, we could say character or past, reputation, habits, propensities. But God would never be okay with, with me. Yet she didn't let that stop her from chasing God. And, for the record, God didn't let that stop him from letting Rahab chase him and catch him. Can you wrap your head around that? Rahab, the prostitute, faith, righteous, because, isn't that crazy? She didn't let her job or her character or her past or whatever stop her from chasing God and neither did God. Here's number two. Rahab didn't let earthly alliances hold her back. She didn't let earthly alliances, anything in this world, she didn't let it hold her back from chasing this God. Matter of fact, she, uh, she lied to her king. Like she was a, a Canaanite living in Jericho and, 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 and the king said, where are those men that came into your apartment? And, and all she had to do would be like, hey, they're right here. And all of a sudden, what do I get out of it? Fame, reputation, money, reward, I don't know, whatever, right? She doesn't do that. She lies to her own people, her own king, and says, they left, they went that way, they're not here, go get them, whatever, right? She lies to her own people to be on the right side of God. We have a word for that. We call it treason. Right? People who... I want to be careful here. (laughs) People who turn their back on their own country, nation, group, whatever, for something else. Like, that's an uncomfortable word for us, isn't it? And yet I don't know what other word we use of Rahab. It was treasonous what she did. She was not letting any earthly alliance hold her back from being on the right side of God, from chasing him and knowing him and, and doing whatever she had to do to be part of this, this, this community of God's people. Would we do this? I think we struggle with this. 
frankly, I think sometimes, sometimes, we are more American than we are Christian. I would be cautious because I don't like when people get up on a platform and force people to listen to them and then put down a country that they, they live in. I, I love the country that I live in. What a privilege to live here. Amen? And in no way do I want to insult our country or, or, or the things that we do. I mean, I, I mean I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, I don't know if I'm a, I'm a patriot, but I'm, I'm patriotic is the next one. And yet at the same time, sometimes we forget what our first citizenship is. It's not to the country that we live in or the family we're born into or the ethnic group that we happen to reflect. Right? Our first citizenship as Christ followers is Christ. And we forget that so often. And so we look at Rahab, who would have been considered a traitor by her own people, and we go, oh, that's an uncomfortable word. Yes, yes it is. And, and would we live the same way? We often forget our first citizenship. So the question's begged, what in this world holds you back from fully chasing God? Is it ethnicity or nationality, civic pride, money, family, hobby, comfort? We could go on and on. What holds you back from fully chasing God? Here's the third point, the third thing I'll pull out of the story. The Bible speaks respectfully of Rahab. The Bible always speaks respectfully of Rahab. Yes, I understand. We, I'm pounding it because I want it to be in our heads that it calls Rahab the prostitute. But it never sounds like this. Rahab the prostitute. You see the difference? It speaks of her respect. Respectfully, yes, it describes Rahab the prostitute, but then it always follows it with some word like faith or righteous or, or something along those lines. Almost as if, yes, we, we want to remember who she was, but that doesn't define who she is, right? That, that yes, she was this, but, but she's been changed, she's different. That's part of her, who, who she was. That's, that, that's not to be ignored or sanitized or left out of the story, but, but really we care more about this side of it. The Bible always speaks respectfully of Rahab, almost to point out that her job, her character, her reputation didn't define her. Rather, her faith resulting in actions define her. We've got to be so careful about deciding who are too far away from God. We've got to be so careful of looking at a group of people or a type of person and deciding they are nowhere near where God wants them or likes them or could use them or with me? We have no biblical right to put somebody with ugly faith down. Be cautious. Man, be cautious in thanking God, thinking God won't use someone from LGBT or the Democrats or the Republicans or the feminists or the chauvinists. I'm not advocating any of those groups. I'm just saying, be so careful whenever we look at a group of people and decide they don't fit. Rahab, the prostitute, <laughs> right? We have no biblical right to put down somebody with ugly faith. We, we, we watched the news. We saw what happened in Charlottesville last uh, week. And, and honestly, all that crap is a result of, of a hatred, I think, that, that rolls out of either not knowing, it's an ignorance, or not remembering that, frankly, there's no hope for any of us. A group of people that could look at another group based on uh, uh, political affiliation, skin color, whatever it might be, and decide that somehow they're worth less is absolute lunacy because there is no hope. There's no hope for them. There's no hope for me. There's no hope for you. There was no hope for Rahab outside of a relationship with Christ. Amen? And sometimes we forget that. 
Sometimes we don't see that. And so then we do, we do, they do, some do stupid things. And I don't care if it's people who spew hate at protest rallies, chanting cops should die, or someone that decides to harm somebody else based on skin color. They maybe, maybe, maybe they ought to have their own mess as their own last name. Maybe there would be a reminder in that. Wouldn't that be odd if that's how we all lived? Chris, the... You were hoping I'd finish that. (laughs) Oh, you're not. Could you imagine if that's who we were? Somehow the moniker to us was our deepest, darkest. I wonder how that would change our character. Would stuff like the Charlottesville crap, would that happen still? See, I can't imagine Rahab ever putting anybody down. I can't imagine Rahab the prostitute ever looking down her nose at another person. How could she? And I'm, I'm glad we don't live in a culture of guilt or shame. And I don't think Rahab was a woman who, who lived in a world of guilt or shame, even though her name was so long, right? I'm glad we don't live like that, but maybe there should be some good reminders of it. So here's how I want to finish today. If you have the app open, you'll see it at the bottom of the app. If you don't have the app, just grab a piece of paper from the pew back in front of you or right on your palm of your hand. That would be great. Or right on the person's neck in front of you. I don't care. I'm up here. It's fine with me, right? But I really want you to write this down somewhere. I want you to write this down right here. Blank the blank is considered righteous because of the decision to follow Jesus and those resulting actions. Blank, the blank, and the blanks you're filling in, the first blank is your name. Chris, that's my name. Don't use that name. That would be really weird. Your name, Chris, the, I want you to write it, I want you to type it in, write it down, your, your deepest, darkest. The thing that you don't want anyone else to know. The thing that keeps you from plugging into a life group because you are concerned people will find out. The thing that keeps you keeping all relationships surface because, oh man, if they got deep, they would know that and then I, I couldn't handle it. I, I want you to write that down. Now, look, I get it. If you want to use an abbreviation, I'm completely fine with that. Just put the first letter. That's fantastic because when you go to lunch today and it's on your palm and then you shake the waiter's hand or grab the money or whatever, and they're like, what's that? And you're like, I don't want to talk about it. Right? I get it. But I think there's something valuable to remembering who we were. Not because of guilt or shame. Don't hear that. This is hope. Like that's who Rahab was. And it shaped her character and in her world and her, 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 her everything. And yet that's not who she is. That thing that's on your app or on your hand or the person's neck in front of you, that's going to get weird taking them to lunch with you, right? Person, uh, that's who you were. It's not who you are. And yet you're saying, yeah, but Chris, I just did that like 15 minutes ago. I just did that 15 minutes ago. I, I know. I mean, I don't know. <laughs> I imagine. That's still not who you are. Make sense? It's who you were. But inside this relationship with Christ, we're different. We're renewed. We have a new life. We are not held to those propensities and sins of the past. Rahab might have been called Rahab the prostitute, but she was never put down in society because of that reality. In fact, the Bible always speaks respectfully. As you're writing that down, oh, we're going to walk out of here and say, we're going to sing a song, we're going to walk out. I want that to be a hopeful thing, an energizing thing. As you're writing that down, if you're feeling guilt and shame because you're writing it down, like, man, talk to Jesus because that is not what it is. It is a sense of hope because if Jesus can change a guy like me and change a gal like Rahab, oh, there's hope for all of us. Amen? Yeah, stand on your feet. We'll sing a song. We'll